This is the Ring of Honor, aka Shane T, boy, the baddest champion you ever seen, boy. This is Mister Anderson. This good old Jr. Jim Rock, and you are listening. You're listening to Knockouts and Three Counts. Starts now. Woo! What up, though? It is another Tuesday. This is Knockouts and Three Counts, and I damn near went postal, but I survived a little bit better than some of the people who were on the other side of the ring from tonight's first guest. Yeah, that's right. I said first guest. That's because there's going to be two guests tonight. We are joined by one of the men in the black shirts inside those cages and squared circles himself. Bobby Wambacher, how you doing, brother, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Not a problem, man. Now, so for those of you who don't know, you know, Bobby and I were part of a short journey called ASAP Throwing Hands. So I figured, you know, when it came down to a big fight weekend, who better to uh, talk about it with than a guy who was inside the ring at one of said fights for Bare Knuckle FC. So first of all, how was uh, how was your weekend, dude? It was good. Uh, very Very eventful, right? <laughs> I could imagine. Hell yeah, dude. Well, what's your thoughts? So with Bare Knuckle FC coming back out, you know, we know that they've got uh they've signed with Triller. Um the card that I'm talking about from last weekend, uh BKFC, was it Jackson too? Am I if I'm not mistaken? That's yeah. correct. Yeah, so you had BKFC Jackson too. You know, Bobby was uh inside the ring for that. Um, why don't you can you give us a little bit of a rundown like uh What's a, a typical day like there with a bare knuckle FC fight as opposed to what you're seeing at like a B2, a UFC? Is it kind of business as usual or like what's the day like for you guys over there at a bare knuckle FC fight? Yeah, it's, it's business as usual. Um, you know, we uh, don't get our assignments till we get to the, to the arena, um, whether okay. it's the UFC or bare knuckle or anything. So uh, going into it, people will say, oh, you reffing so-and-so's fight. And, you know, when I say I don't know, I, I really don't know. Um, so I just prepare as, as normal. And then uh, when I get there, I see who I'm going to be in there with. And, and then I get an opportunity to talk to each one of those individuals and uh, kind of get ready for the night. That's such an interesting dynamic. I really thought that would be kind of like assigned seating, I guess we could call it. You know, who's getting what, you know, kind of based on seniority and stuff like that. But to say that it's kind of... Once you get there here, we'll figure it out, you know, on the night. That's that's surprising to me. Well, the, the commission probably already has it figured out. They just don't share it with us until we get there. Um, and and there, there's some good reasons. Uh, if I know who I'm fighting, then there could be a conflict of interest. I could, you know, someone could get a hold of me and talk to me and sway me. That won't happen with me, but it could happen with other people. And uh, so to keep it as fair as possible, you know, they don't let you know until you get there. So I, I like it, man. Well, let's, let's talk about this. You know, something with yo, what up though, Cody? Um, what we were talking about before we went on the air was that, you know, I've been saying for a while, I want to check out one of these BKFC fights. Um, obviously a lot of them right now are going down in like Mississippi and States like that, where the commissions are allowing it. 
What are some of the biggest obstacles you see as far as to them being able to expand across the states? Because I know New York is a tough, New York's a tough cookie to crack, crack sometimes with that stuff. I mean, hell, even with wrestling, sometimes they don't like to uh, have too much blood. What do you think? Uh, do you think they're going to have a hard time continuing to get some more of these commissions to go with bare knuckle? Or do you think with the continued success like that, more and more states will open up to it? You know, I think it's. Uh, I think there's going to be some some challenges with it. Um, some people just absolutely don't like it that are in uh, commission positions. Um, one thing about the different commissions is it's all political. Most of those commissioners are appointed by governors or speakers of the houses, stuff like that. Um, so if if they don't like it, it's not coming. So uh, it's kind of like New York with the, the whole MMA thing, how long it took to get there when it shouldn't have taken that long at all to get there. Uh, but one thing that, that we're doing is we're establishing, uh, I'm actually part of the Bare Knuckle Rules Committee for the ABC, and we're establishing a, a unified set of rules. That's going to be the, the first, I guess, obstacle, uh, because a lot of, the commissions want to see something that's set in stone, something that's unified that everybody's using and that they can use. Um, so once we get that rolled out and we're going to, we're going to present that at the ABC commission or a ABC convention uh, in July this year in, in New York. So hopefully after that, we'll get some more coming on and there are more coming on as we speak. I know that um, Colorado has approved it. Uh, New Mexico has approved it from what I see. Uh, BKFC has an event there in August, so they had to have approved it. Uh, Louisiana, hopefully, we'll approve it, approve it here pretty quick. Uh, then you got Mississippi, you got Florida, you got uh, they obviously do them in Montana. Um, so more states are opening up to it. Uh, hopefully, the more the better. Put it that way. <laughs> Absolutely, because you get. You guys, I don't know how well affiliated and deep you are in BKFC in particular, but I mean that they've they've put on a great product. Uh, only real complaint is they're, the, of course, dealing with some maybe older aged, you know, fighters dealing with just what's available in the free market, you know, in the fighting world. But other than that, they've genuinely put on a great product. I've been subs uh, paid subscriber now for basically since the uh, inception of their app and everything. And I, I continue to pay for a reason. I feel as though their product's well worth it at the end of the month. Well, I hear a lot of people say, you know, about the, the middle-aged and older uh, fighters. And as far as bare knuckle goes, it's only been around in the States anyway for yep. four years. So whenever it gets started, obviously, if you were – if baseball wasn't over here and you started a league – you're going to go after the biggest names possible to get attention. You're not going to go after the, the rookies and stuff like that in the beginning. And I think that's what Bare Knuckle did is I think they went out and got people that would grab people's attention and get them to tune in and then evolve into, you know, developing fighters and which Bare Knuckles is absolutely evolving to that now. Um, so I think that the, that was needed to get everybody involved and, and wanting to pay attention because if if they were put if people were putting on fights and nobody knew any of the names they're not tuning in right i mean uh, unless you're hardcore like uh, mma you know a lot of people say oh i'm an mma fan oh what fights do you watch oh the ufc oh okay yeah. Yeah, you do any local stuff <laughs> oh, no. but i'm a yeah. big fan well okay 
Um, and I think it's the same thing. And I think that uh, we're, we're on the verge because you'll see some some of the fighters like just in Jackson, some of those fighters, uh, you know, two and oh, now three and oh um, type of records. I mean, those are the ones that are starting to move move up in the rankings and are starting to get main event, cone main event spots, and people are starting to recognize their names. I, I remember you guys had uh, Britain on uh, last week. You know, she, she's gotten her name because she's she's been successful, but nobody knew really who she was before she started gaining traction. Um, nobody was going to tune in to watch her fight, but now people will t- absolutely tune in to watch her fight. Um, she could main event probably any other shows and people would tune in and, and watch. So, um, you know, it's the same thing. So I'm excited about where it's going. Um, we're just on the ground level still. Yeah. Well, I don't, I didn't in that circumstance in particular with the, you know, middle-aged fighters and stuff, I didn't mean to isolate just BKFC in that because me and Kyle on the show all the time, whether it be Eagle FC or, you know, any sure. of the, the, want to make it to the next level promotions, the PFLs, the so on, you know, they're all kind of, to your point, in that free market reign where they're trying to dig for whatever names they can. And the mass majority of the casuals, to your point, watch UFC. Yeah, I'm watching UFC every weekend. But besides that, they don't even tune in for a Bellator event when it's, you know, one of their cards of the year. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic where you, to your point, have to sign these guys to put on a good show so that people will be able to tune in, but you're also trying to build up the rookies at the same time. And I feel like they're starting to do a very good job of that and Britton Hart being a great example of it. I agree. I, so here's my question for you with this. So, I mean, you're getting a better view than most anybody when it comes to these fights and getting to be inside the yeah. ring. You know, having you know, having been in there for a few of these at this point, what do you think, to you, what do you think is the most, uh, what's the right word? I was going to say most adaptable, but what do you think is the best style for <laughs> bare knuckle? And when I say that, because to me, the two types of styles that seem to really stand out to me are the guys and girls that come in there that are the really slick boxers because their head movement and they're not getting touched on the way in. And then obviously with bare knuckle punches, they're obviously going to hit you a lot harder. Um, I feel like the boxers have done real well. And obviously as we've seen with a guy like a Johnny Bedford, you know, the MMA guys and girls that are able to come over and be able to utilize that clinch and be able to do that in the taller in the tie clung and all that kind of stuff. So for you, what do you think is the most effective way that you've noticed in bare knuckle? Do you think it's the straight boxers, the MMA people, or a combination of the both? I think it's a hybrid right now. Um, <clears throat> I think you have boxers that come in that think they're going to, they're going to, uh, you know, just dominate. And then they get punched in the face with a bare knuckle and it's a different game and it changes. Um, and then you'll get some MMA fighters that think, Oh, I can take that shot. Well, then they get in there with a slick boxer, like you're saying, they can pack a punch and their speed just overwhelms them. Um, so it's interesting because I, I, I ref, I've been in there for several uh, bare knuckle fights now. And, um, you know, I've been in there with MMA fighters, their crossovers. I've been in there with boxers who are coming over to, to try their hand at it. And then I've been in with some that have no like MMA or boxing experience. They're just fresh into to the sport. And it's interesting to see the dynamic of, uh, you know, 
it's different when when they get hit it is different and the sound and the feel and everything about it is different the, the pace of a bare knuckle fight and the speed is so much different than mma or even boxing and i ref both of those as well but the uh just the the speed and and the impact is completely different and you'll see people that come in and i'll talk to them because i talk to every fighter that i'm going to ref before i ref them and i'll get a little bit of their background because obviously i want to know what what their strengths are what their weaknesses are stuff like that just from what they're telling me and uh that also tells me where i'm going to have to be position wise for a fighter typically um but uh you know you talk to somebody and they're like, Oh yeah, I'm ready. I've been doing this and that. And then they get hit in the face that first shot. And I'm, I'm sitting 12 inches from them and, and you can just see it on their face that Oh shit moment. Like now it's real. So, uh, yeah. Well, let's talk about that. That's a perfect segue as any, you know, obviously like we mentioned, you know, BKFC Jackson two went down this past weekend. You were in the ring for that. And uh, I would say that you got to be in the ring for uh, probably one of the biggest oh shit moments of the night. Uh, <laughs> when Alan Boucher decapitated Frank, uh, Frank Tate real quick. So tell me a little bit about that. When you see something like that. And for those of you who didn't get to watch this fight, when I say one punch knockout, I mean one punch knockout. Like dude was like dead before he hit the ground because and like like you heard with what Bobby said, the smack. Like dude, he hit him with a fully closed fist and it sm- sounded like he smacked the shit out of him. He hit him so hard. So, what were your thought what are your thoughts when you're seeing something like that and what are your thoughts on uh that fight being that you were in uh you were in the ring for that one? Well, First off, it was an honor to be in there with both of those guys. But, um, you know, the first thing I thought when, when Alan hit him, um, they circled around, and so he, I was just off to the right, I believe, of, of Alan when he hit him. And the first thing that went through my mind, because I know Alan's background, now he's done a couple boxing matches, but primarily he's an MMA fighter, uh, background-wise. Right now, I, I would say he's not an MMA fighter. He's, he's a bare-knuckle fighter, and make no mistake about it. And he's looking clean, too. He is. Um, But my mindset is when I'm in there with an MMA fighter, especially, or someone with that background is I've got to get in there fast because an MMA fighter's mindset is to follow them to the beach. And if you do that in bare knuckle, you're probably going to get disqualified. And I knew there was a lot riding on this fight because one, it was the main event. It was the the heavyweight title uh, eliminator or whatever. So the winner was going to fight for the title. So, you want it to be clean. You don't want it to be controversial or anything like that. So if Alan had followed him to the ground, you know, and then we have to deal with that situation. So my first instinct was to get in there and get my hand in front of Alan so he couldn't do anything. And when Alan hit him, he's standing over him uh, briefly until I get in there. So that's all I was thinking is, you know, I got to get Alan away from him so we have no problems. And then I'll, I'll worry about Frank, you know, whether he can continue or not. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was as solid of a shot as I've heard being in that, the, the bare knuckle scene. So it, that it definitely was, (laughs) I want to ask you a kind of a a backup question to what you were making the point of before, where you have these conversations with these guys in the background and stuff. And I'm sure after the fight as well. And how does, 
how does the uh how do you keep the emotions kind of separate from you know once you the results have played out the way that they have and then you're still having conversations with these guys how do you kind of move on to the next step without you know thinking about hey he was just out hard you know like well for me it's it's i've got a job to do and obviously that is fighter safety that's that is my only job if anybody tells you it's anything else they're crazy um my job is to protect the fighter and so i have a connection with the fighters for the most part before they step in the the ring or the cage or anything um and some of them i've left numerous times so there's that bond type of thing mm-hmm. um so you do get to know them as far as on a semi-personal level obviously i never get personal i don't talk family or anything like that but you do care about them and you don't want to see them get hurt now it is a what we do is the hurt business so yeah, absolutely they are going to get hurt it's just I, my job is to help minimize that and to keep them safe so one of the greatest things after a fight um, especially when you get all the internet people talking and saying, oh, you stopped it early and all that other stuff. But when the cameras aren't around and you're in the back and that fighter is sitting there and they come up to you and say, hey, thank you for letting me get home tonight safe. You did your job tonight. You know, it's those moments that the public will never see um, that makes my job, you know, so gratifying, I guess. Um, because you get some, some fighters who, you know, out when they're on the camera and they think they got stopped early, they're going to throw a fit and make a scene because, you know, it's always someone else's fault when you lose. And it's easier to blame me than to say, yeah, no, I was rocked and I was out of it. You know? Um, so it, it's always good when you're in the back. Cause I, I always go back in the back and talk to the fighters after the fight, if they're still there. Now, some of them get transported or whatever, but, you know, and I just check on them. Hey, you, you okay? How you doing? You know, you know just the basic kind of stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, you'll get some, that's where you get the real conversation. And nobody ever hears the real conversation. They hear what, mm-hmm. you know, people want to um, portray or whatever. But the real conversation is what matters. And, uh, you know, like I, I stopped a fight in the undercard. And it, it was the right stop. And some people were saying it was a little bit early or whatever. The fighter came up to me afterwards at the hotel and we were talking and, you know, he was asking questions. He was like, you know, was I really out? And first off, if you got to ask me if you were really out, you were really out. Like if you don't remember it, you got a problem. But um, you know, it's those types of conversations where you can relate to somebody because look, they've trained their butts off. They've put everything they got into it. Whether they go out there and they perform for 10 seconds or 15 minutes, they've put months of training, blood, sweat, tears into that. And, uh, you know, when you come out on the wrong side of it, it, it's emotional for them. And, um, you know, you want to be there and you want to be empathetic and sympathetic for those reasons because it's not like they just got off the bar stool and hopped in there. Right. You know, they, they made sacrifices to get in there. And that's the reason why I'm a big advocate of every fighter should have a very competent and highly trained referee. And for that matter, highly trained and competent judges, because whether they're an amateur or professional, they've made sacrifices to get there. And, you know, that's not just what 
most of them are doing for a hobby. They're trying to progress and, and get better and learn and get to that next step. So, you know, I take that stuff very seriously. So yeah, my question off of that is we talk about, you know, obviously when we're talking about bare knuckle, you're talking about some gnarly knockouts just like you would be with MMA. But obviously with bare knuckle being newer to the scene here in the States, you know, with you refing MMA and doing uh, bare knuckle and all that, is there one is there one instance that sticks out above all the rest that might have been the gnarliest one you've seen while you're uh, refing a fight? Um, well, the, the I would say one of the most gnarly, if you want to say, instances happened in Oklahoma, and it was, it was MMA, and it was I think it was WXC. I don't remember the name of the promotion, but uh, the guy actually got hit with an elbow while he was down. The guy, I think he was in a full mount, and uh, no, he was in full guard. He hit him with an elbow, and uh, it actually split his head. Like really bad. I stopped the fight because obviously he was getting pummeled at that point, not because of the cut. The cut had just happened pretty recent. The doctors actually had to staple his head while we were in the cage because they couldn't get him to the back. Damn. Wow. And that was uh, that was probably one of those moments where you're like, okay. Now the fighter was fine. He was talking and all that stuff, but they couldn't get it to stop bleeding, and it was bad. So they just stapled it right there in the cage, and then we we carried on. So, <laughs> to your point, the things the fans don't get to see the stuff in the that usually takes place in the back, taking place in the cage, man, it really adds a different element to it. You know, seeing somebody yeah. get their head stapled at a show or something, that's next level. <laughs> well, before I get your thoughts on UFC 275 and all that that's going on, as you mentioned, for anybody who's new here, make sure you hit that subscribe button, like button, all those good things, and check out our chat with one Britton Hart, who is getting ready to step back into the ring against Beck Rawlings, or now known as Beck, Rodri Beck, Beck Rodriguez, if I can spit it out. Again! <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh, with that being said, you know, it's going to be a hell of a fight. And then you've got Luis Palomino versus Brito in the main event, too. So do you, how do you see these fights going? Are you excited for this card? I mean, all I know is that I'm really looking forward to seeing these scraps. The, the fights on that card are, are very solid. Um, the, I don't know if you know this, but the, the Britain and Beck fight was supposed to headline the fight that I did in Omaha. Um, so it's, it's a co-main event and that could main event any fight card. So yeah. with, with it being a co-main event, you already know that it, it's a crazy stack card. And then the main event, Palomino and Brito, like, holy smokes. It, if you are new to bare knuckle, you want to tune into that because I, I don't think a lot of people, especially give Palomino the credit that he deserves. Yeah. Um, in, in what he's done. And, you know, I, again, he's not a huge name coming in. And so he's trying to build up, you know, his, his value, but his performances are just crazy. And uh, I, if you're new to bare knuckle and you want to see a fight card, June, June 24th, I believe is the date. And it's in uh, hard rock in Florida. So he's been arguably the uh, cleanest champion BKFC had. I mean, he's just, Every time he goes out there, he puts on a show, and that's just Absolutely. it seems to be very his. He's leading the dance at, at almost every given point in all these fights, man. He, 
he's definitely impressive in there. This one's going to be a good one. Hell yeah. I will definitely be checking that out. Like I said, make sure you check out that chat with Britton Hart. Get you ready for BKFC 26 going down June 24th. With that being said, all right, that wasn't the only fight that we had in the weekend. And man, not that I expected this card to be bad by any means, but holy shit, was it good <laughs> from start to finish? Like literally that whole card from top yeah. to bottom. I mean, and don't get me wrong, dude. We talk about all the time how we watch all the fights, but dude, UFC 275 was dope from front to back with, uh, you know, the knockout that they had at the very beginning to what we saw from Whaley and Joanna. Um, I mean, holy shit. What were your guys' thoughts on UFC 275? Whoever wants to take it first. I mean, to your point, it. I don't want to say it outlived expectations, right? Because whenever you have a card with two uh, title fights as your uh, main and co-main, and then you follow that up with a Yoana Whaley Zhang fight, it it's it is stacked, right? But it was like a, a barometer, I guess you could say, of like how how tuned into the fight game are you really? Because Glover working as hard as he has throughout the years and then finally working his way into a title position, making his first title defense, that, that to me was interesting as hell to begin with. Check one box. You, you got Valentina, arguably uh, the most dominant female fighter. And then the way that that fight played out, yet again, check another box, huge drama in that one. And then like I said, the uh, Whaley and uh, JJ, you want a young Jacek fight. That was, uh, even though I hated to see uh, my girl, the boogie woman uh, go down like that, uh, it was still a great fight while it lasted. That's for sure. And then also one name I feel as though that because of the way the top end played out, isn't necessarily getting enough attention in my opinion. Jake Matthews, man, he put on. That, a hell I couldn't of a spit show his name out, but that knockout was nasty, dude. Yeah, he put he put on a hell of a performance in that uh, in that fight. So, Bobby, where were you at with UFC 275, man? How do you feel this card went? I thought it was good. I thought it was strong. Anytime you have. Uh, uh, it's essentially should have been three title fights on there is your top. Yeah, basically. I mean, yeah. um, I think, um, gosh, that main event, that was, that was bananas. First off, like the people, some more seconds and Glover wins that fight. I don't know. How do you, how do you predict that Yuri is going to win by submission in the fifth round? I mean, the guy who has the most submissions in the light heavyweight division on top of it all. You know? Like, man, that's the fight game, right? But that fight, you know, well, here's the thing. Something like that, I think you should do an immediate rematch. I don't know that they will, but that fight gave everything a fight fan could want. Yeah. It, went, it wasn't a 10-second knockout. It was almost 25 minutes of just back and forth, just – that close warriors there was it was so close and i mean man i I don't know who wouldn't want to see that one again but i assume and i don't know but i assume they'll probably make glover win one before he gets the the rematch but we'll see i don't know about all that i don't know about all that bruce but (laughs) 
I would imagine <laughs> as well they would make Glover win one more, and I think uh, a perfect fight would be to run back that Jan-Glover uh, fight, the one that we just seen for Glover to win the belt. Jan getting the fight over Rakic, I, even though I feel as though Rakic was winning before the injury happened. So feel as though he needs one more before he's into the title bout as well. Match them both up again. I feel as though we could see a good fight in there. But that being said, that – that main event was just storyline after storyline after storyline. I mean, there were so many points where I was like, oh, sh- shit, Glover's finishing him. It, it, the fight's over. Like He, he took almost Mount. finished him on the he's, feet and the ground. That's the crazy part about he, it. Yeah, he took Mount. He's on top. He's pounding him out. And then somehow Yuri would just, like, snake his way out of there some way or another. And it was like, I, I don't know. It was, it, it was but here's so the question. good. Here's the question out of that, though, right? So, like, I completely agree with what Bobby said. And most circumstances, I would say that it'd be a rematch. But I think we all know at this point that what whoever wins out of that Anthony Smith, uh, um, who's he fighting, Corey? Anthony Smith and uh, um, um, Ankalaev. Yeah. So the winner yeah, of them, they've already said, is going to be the next one to fight. But then, so what do you do with Glover after that? Because the only thing, to me, Glover can't move that far down. To me, I feel like Glover has to fight yeah. one of those top two that's in there because, let's face it, again, you have to be able to finish out the full 25 minutes, but another 38 seconds, and Glover beat Yuri. So, yeah. and let's not forget that I feel like that choke was 110% because uh, Glover was tired. Yeah, I mean, was... let, let's call it what it really was, because if they weren't tired, I don't think there's any situation in which Yuri submits him. I'm just saying. Submits him with a, a rear naked with no hooks in. I mean, it, no was, shit. Yeah, and, like, no fight the... at all to the hands. Like, yeah, you can see I... how tired he was. <laughs> that's what, to finish my short summarization, and then to see all the back and forth throughout all the rounds, to for it to finally make it to this fifth where you're like, man, this fight, it's over. They're both going to be gassed and coming into the fifth. And then Glover's the one looking fresher coming into the fifth, starts to honestly put it on Yuri, and I'm thinking he's about to get a finish himself here in the fifth round. And then gets the near knockdown, chases the submission, works that into next thing you know, there's like a minute on the clock. He's he's in freaking mount in – it, it might have been like a minute 30, two minutes at most. He's in mount. And I'm thinking this fight is uh, it's seconds away from either being over or for sure he won this fifth round and is up. And then it came out after the fact he was up on all the judges' scorecards anyway. Yeah. He was going to win if, if even if they would have somehow miraculously scored that fifth round for Yuri, even though that was not at all how that round was looking, he was still going to win. So – the last 30 second kind of Hail Mary submission from Yuri for it to actually be successful. It was just storyline after storyline. Well, dude, I mean, shout out to our guy, Ryan McKinnell, but he was filling in for Jimmy for a little bit. And he said it, he was like the minute that Glover went for that guillotine is the night, the moment that that fight changed, Yeah, you know, where if he'd have kept it on his feet, where it looked like he was still winning, you know, we could have gone the extra 38 seconds and we could be having a totally different uh, conversation. Um, definitely one of the better fights I've watched in a long time. But with that being said, who better to ask this question than somebody who's been inside that cage and is a referee who won that fight, Valentina Shevchenko or 
Talia Santos. Who'd you have with it? Um, when I when I, I had Santos. When I watched it, I would have given it to Valentina. I would have given it um, 48, 47. Uh, but with that being said, I could see how another judge, based on their perspective of how they, what angles they were seeing, would have given it 48, 47 uh, the other way. Like, I don't think anybody can really complain. Um, I think it was that close of a fight. And there's another one. If her orbital bone wasn't, isn't broken, I think you run that back immediately. Like, that is a good fight. Do you um, think the judges? Do you think the judges even know we know they're not supposed to? Like we knew at home that it was from an accidental headbutt. Do you think that the judges kind of weighed that as damage if they were kind of back and forth on that round once she got headbutted? Um, well, I can't speak for what they what they thought when they scored, yeah, yeah. but I I don't think they they knew that because I I don't think the referee went and acknowledged that to the commission and everybody. Maybe I missed it that it was an accidental headbutt. So if there's an accidental headbutt, like if, if two people clash heads and there's a cut, you know, obviously the first thing I do at the end of the round or whatever is I, I make sure that the cut's fine. I have the doctor look at it, but then I go and inform the commission and let them know, Hey, that cut was an accidental headbutt. If that is the reason why we got to stop this fight later, you know, we'll go to the cards or whatever it is so that the commission knows where we're at in the fight. So if it doesn't get so if it gets to the fourth or fifth round and then something happens, the cut opens up more, and now we got to go to the cards. Everybody's not in confusion and chaos. The commission already knows that's what's happening. So um, and I didn't see uh, that happen. I'm not that it didn't, uh, but I didn't see it happen. So the judges wouldn't have known that it was an accidental uh, headbutt. It's uh, it's so crazy to me that that's kind of how it played out. And then to your point. We could have really seen when the when the uh, ringside physician stepped in. We could have definitely seen that there had been a doctor stoppage because of the broken orbital. And in that circumstance, if I'm not mistaken, because when the doctor walked in, it was the fourth round. That in a championship fight, that would that fight would then go to the scorecards. Correct. That is correct. If it's an if it's it's got to be the majority of the rounds. If it's an accidental foul and it's less mm -hmm. than the majority of rounds, it's just a no contest. But if it's okay. the majority of the rounds, then you go to the scorecards. And if it happens in the middle of the round, um, typically they will score that round and use that as well. So, um, yeah, that could have been interesting. Very. because in All I'm going to say the, is if this doesn't insert Talia please. Santos into every fight fan's mouth as far as that division, like if she doesn't get like another top two, top three fight whenever that orbital, orbital bone heals, I don't know what the fuck the UFC is doing because I still say the same as I did when we were watching it Saturday. I thought Talia Santos won. Now, I'm not mad that uh, Valentina got the decision. The only one that makes no sense is that judge that said 49-46. I don't know what the fuck you were watching. but well, uh, I, I think it's – and you can speak to this too, and I've seen so many other people kind of make – note of it and big john being the former ref that he is loves to uh speak from the high hills about the new criteria is based on damage and even though she was held the back and did implement some some situations where there was close to submission. but did she really do that much damage she, or was most of it done by that headbutt Let's no and i i agree with that <laughs> 
I agree with the that's what caused the most of the damage. But when you're actually looking round by round where the scoring criteria is actually involved in this, Talia Santos, whether she controlled position or not, that's not that's not weighed so highly in the new uh, criteria, if I'm not mistaken. And when you look at the damage, even though, in my opinion, the dominant it it appeared to be a dominant round from Talia Santos because she was able to hold the back for three and a half minutes or whatever in that first round. She didn't implement any damage with the position and Valentina was able to land some significant over the head punches. Uh, am I way off on this or where am I? At? When you're judging a fight, obviously the, the damage is your, your, I guess the big indicator, but they, they, we use what they call the three D's damage, duration, and dominance. And that's how you, um, you know, establish the round, the score for the round. But you know, the, when someone's got a dominant, say I got your back um, and I'm not doing anything with it. it that's no, nothing more than just standing against the cage. Um, you got to do something with it. And there, now if you're not doing something with it, that's when the referee needs to do their job and, stand it up or, you know, be very verbal, whatever it is. Because one thing you'll see in my fights, you know, I'm very verbal. And if there's no action, I will tell them, you know, we need to work if you want this position. I or heard you in the bare knuckle ones. Yeah, yeah, me too. And a fighter will immediately begin to work if they want that position. So it's it just is a call for action, and it happens. And so typically I don't have to stand up people when they got their backs and stuff like that. Because when you say, hey, and in the back, you know, before the fight, I let them know, hey, if you hear me say this, I'm thinking about doing this. <laughs> so there's no surprises. And, you know, if they want that position, they'll work for it. So I don't know as much as as far as having a dominant position and not doing anything with it. Um, you know, that's like taking someone down 10 times as a wrestler and, and holding them down and then them getting up, but you got them down 10 times. Okay. But did you do anything with it? You know, what, what damage, what did you do? What effective striking did you use? What effective grappling did you do? Um, you know, so that, that I guess is my answer to that. I'm with you, man. Like I said, it's a, it, it's an interesting thing. And I mean, from how much damage she did on top, I could see where, you know, you would say, look, she got her back, but she didn't do much with it. But man, I don't know. I watched it again and I still was like, damn it. I feel like she won, but at the very least she better stay in the top three regardless. Cause we've not seen anybody to do that to Valentina Shevchenko mm -hmm. in a long time. So regardless, if this doesn't raise her stock, I don't know what the fuck the UFC is watching. Well, there's one more fight that we got to talk about on this main card. Corey, I know that you had uh, quite a lot you wanted to say about that one. But, Bobby, I'll let you yeah. go first. What were your thoughts on Joanna uh, and uh, Wei Lee and uh, what we saw in the retirement of Joanna? You know, one of the things that I respect the most is when a fighter knows it's their time and they don't hang on too long. Because Joanna, she could still fight and she would beat. 90% of the women in their division probably easily. Um, but, you know, she realizes that, uh, you know, she's just not there, I guess. Uh, Wei Li is, is a different different breed. And I think, I think people are going to see more of that in the Esparza fight when they fight. Um, 
I think what she did to, to Joanna in the first fight and then in the second fight tells any true fan or anybody who understands the sport exactly how good she is. You know, anybody can get caught, anybody can lose. And that's she she got caught with Rose and she Rose Rose beat her. But she she handled Joanna in both fights. Great fight in the first one. And the second one has anybody put Joanna out like that? Not that I've seen. Joanna yeah. has a, a extensive kickboxing record, I believe. And yep. so it's it's not like she just got caught. Like she Wei Li, she she did what she had to. And it was impressive. Yep, for her catching her, you had to do something. And I mean, Joanna's got the got the pedigree of all pedigrees with that one. I mean, ultimately first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, and the other thing that was talked about a lot going into this fight, too, is you got to think, Ioana had to know in the back of her head this was going to be her her best path to getting back to the title. Because if she wins Absolutely. this fight, if she wins this fight, she's definitely fighting for the belt next. Now she knows she lost. She's going to have to fight two, three more fights to do that. And like she yeah. said, you know, I want to be able to live a life outside of that. Because like you said, we're not only talking about her time in MMA. We're talking about all these kickboxing fights and everything else. You know, she's at the point where she wants to... Uh, Live, uh, live she the rest next of her life, year be a mom, all that stuff. She said next year would have been 20 years of training. So that's a I long mean, time, dude. Yeah. Well, what do you have to say about Joanna, man? I know that was one of your points for the day. So what were your thoughts yeah. on Joanna and, uh, Whaley? In, in a quick, uh, corner segment here, the great, uh, boogie woman, Joanna makes her retirement after, uh, unfortunately losing to, uh, Whaley in the fashion. But uh, kind of like her amazing career, it kind of went out just like a flame where uh, she ended up face down. But it was honestly, everyone just became that much more of a fan. It wasn't something where all of a sudden there's some disrespect or something out there. Even even in the, uh, the swamps that are Twitter, I haven't really seen anything bad about Joanna uh, and her career or anything along those lines. And, I mean, truly just shout out for the uh, the amazing title run and everything that she gave all of us fans and stuff. I mean, and her shout outs, uh, both in the cage and a couple uh, interviews after the fact, just thanking all of the UFC uh, staff and everything like that. You can tell just how much it meant to her uh, to live out this life as her career. You know, it really uh, meant a lot. And for Wei Li, I mean... Well, she's getting the next title shot. We yeah. know that at this point. There well, is no, it, see, it I mean, seems like unless Carla Esparza just really shows us something that would genuinely surprise me with the skill, skill set that she presents, it seems like we got a new champ again in Whaley. I think Whaley is going to come in there and wreck yeah, Carla. Yeah, it's going to. I'm man, just being good. honest. No disrespect to Carla Esparza, it, dude. Enjoy your wedding. Enjoy your honeymoon, all that yeah. stuff. But I'm being honest, bro. Whaley, I think, After, is going to wreck Carla when the time comes personally but after the uh the time spent with uh good old triple c henry cejudo way lee is really uh, she's leveled up her uh, ground game just significantly i mean nobody's really been able to uh ground and pound and take down uh Ioana like uh way lee was in that first round so uh, to your point moving on to the title bout and i think that's i think she's just of all the number one K 
contender realm, I feel like Whaley is just the absolute worst fight for a Carla Esparza. It's got, dude, and she's got something to prove too. She's gonna come out like a damn juggernaut. Well, yeah. Bobby, I appreciate you spending the time with us, brother man. I appreciate you talking these fights with us. Um, like I said, we got to get out to one of these bare knuckle FC fights, but before we get out of here, let everybody know where they can follow you. If you've got what fights you got coming up, if they see you at an event to come say what's up, uh, because for those of you who are watching this, this Thursday, we're going to be joined by our buddy, Matt Frendo to talk about lights out come this Thursday. That's going to be the last event here in Grand Rapids at the Delta Plex before they shut that down. So we got plenty more MMA stuff coming to you this week, but like I said, if you're at any of these events, make sure you say what up to our friend Bobby. Yeah, you can find me at Facebook. It's just MMA referee Bobby Wambacher. I'm all over. You know, I'm in uh, Louisiana and Tennessee this weekend. Next weekend, it's Kentucky, Louisiana. Uh, I think I got eight events in, left in June to do. So I'm all over. I'm excited. Uh, if you're in an event, come say hello. We'll hang out, uh, talk MMA, and, uh, yeah, go from there. Make sure you tell Matt I say hello. I didn't realize that they were finishing up at the Deltaplex. Will do, yeah. They just announced that they're gonna have uh, they're gonna have their fight. It's on June twenty, yeah, June twenty fifth, uh, Grand Rapids. Uh, they're doing like the last big fight there before they close down the Deltaplex. Um, gonna be a lot of good fights on this one, so I'm I'm looking forward to heading back down to Grand Rapids and seeing some fights. Matt does a good job with his promotion and uh, matchmaking, so yeah, that'll be a good one completely hopefully we can uh, talk to him about some matchmaking and get uh maybe some of his thoughts on that whole xfc thing like i said all the more reason why you guys got to hit surprise uh hit surprise and subscribe so that you guys don't miss everything if i could uh untie my tongue before we get to our next guest mr matthew priest talk some wrestling i'm gonna talk about bcwa going down this weekend and wind out we're gonna talk about a forbidden door that i've have like drained my fucking savings to go to Chicago. A lot more to talk about on the wrestling end of things, but like I said, shout out to our guest, Mr. Bobby Wambacher. We appreciate the time, brother man. Yeah, greatly appreciate it, man. Hell yeah, it won't be the last time. We'll bring you back. All righty. Here we go. And just like that, we're switching out in in the Zoom box now is our good buddy, the legacy Matthew Priest. How the hell are you doing, man? Oh, you know, I'm just A-L-I-V-E-L live and kicking, gentlemen. Hopefully you can hear me pretty good and no mic issues. We didn't get a test uh, test run in. Yeah, you're all good. I can hear you good. Corey, can Excellent. you hear him good? Yeah, we just got done talking about man. some fisticuffs. What were your thoughts on UFC 275, bro? Oh, you know, Bob, no, Bobby is a guy. He was an awesome guest. I mean, the knowledge that you just pick up from having a referee mm-hmm. out here and getting that that uh, referee's, like, inside perspective is absolutely fascinating. I, I loved hearing uh his perspective on that as a third man in the cage, just like a third man in a wrestling ring, doesn't get a lot of uh, um, respect and attention that they deserve and, and how vital their role is. And, and you'll see two, uh, 275, I didn't get to see it. I saw clips from it. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, Glover, Glover lost. Um, but it looked like, looked like great fights. And then hearing you guys break them down, you know, sounded like a great card. Um, you know, Dude, it does suck to see Joanna, you know, Joanna wrapping it up, you know, a, a great career she had. Um, never, never fun to see a, a great hanging up, but probably, probably for the best at this point in her career, she was, you know, invincible at one point. Yeah, I can't I, argue that, dude. Be, I mean, go ahead, Corey. Before we jump off the whole uh, Bobby thing and onto the uh, next train, I just want to say, 
shout out him for showing the real respect once i when i kind of posed that question to him of like what's your thoughts and stuff like that you could tell that that was like a a heartfelt answer that he actually posed about how he feels of, with dealing with these fighters both in and out of the cage and how it means so much to him to have the respect of all the grind time and everything that these guys put into it so i just want to say shout out him and yet again appreciate the time Hell yeah. Well, UFC was definitely a banger. I enjoyed that. Bare Knuckle FC was a banger, and we got to hear Bobby's mm-hmm. thoughts when uh, Alan Belcher decapitated Frank Tate. Um, I'm just going to say that was one of the nastiest like sounds I've heard when somebody's gotten hit in like a long fucking time. Like He hit that man so hard that it sounded like he open-hand smacked him, and he hit him so hard the guy in the fifth row probably had Frank Tate sweat all over him. Like, I mean, yeah, dude, this I, guy's head smoked the ground. Like It was like I, Rashad and Chuck back in the day. Dude, dude, dude I was at Rashad and Chuck back in the day. Don't fucking remind me. It ruined my 16th birthday. <laughs> the, amount of spit, the amount of spit that went flying out of Frank Tate's mouth when he got hit was just like, it was nearly comical. It looked like. It looked like LeBron when he does, like, the spray up in wow. the air type thing. It's like, it was just so, like, the amount was just fucking preposterous. It, like, I couldn't, it was wild. Alan Belcher was a bad dude in the UFC, and now he's a really fucking bad dude in Bare Knuckle FC. Like, there's not even been one person that's gotten close to touching this dude. And, so... I'm just I, saying, heavyweights beware because that guy is going to move quicker than most of them because he's lighter than most of them. Clearly, he's got the power. And when you yeah. throw that technique that he's got from all them years of kickboxing, boy, you better you better keep them yeah. hands up, homie. Otherwise, you're going to sleep. Well, he's not saying fucking nope. nuts. That doesn't help either. Yeah, not not saying he's not skilled because he absolutely is skilled, and that just makes it even that much more scary. But I don't I don't know what their uh, their uh, PED uh, testing is over in uh, BKFC, but <laughs> man, is our boy heavyweight Belcher looking fucking jacked, eh? <laughs> Come on, why do we got to go right to the juice every time somebody's looking good? Hot damn it. Stop being a hater, Corey. Uh, I, I can either just confirm or deny, so we're going to leave that in a corner. <laughs> it's just rare that a man in his 40s gains that much muscle mass. That's all I'm trying to say. Well, I mean, you got to remember, though, he was cutting all the way down to make 185 and 170. So, like, if he's not having to cut all that weight anymore, like, I mean. Yeah, I guess. I, guess. I mean, that I would, I, I would imagine I, when he was coming I, down I to 185, he I, was coming joke, down from I the kid. 200s. I joke, I kid. I, I do not give two shits. Oh, I know. I'm not saying I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just saying. Remember, this guy made a hell of a cut even when he was in the UFC. So, um, with that being said, let's talk about some fucking wrestling, dude. There's a lot of wrestling stuff that's about to go on, man. Uh, first and you know, first and foremost, man. You know, BCWA is back this weekend. You know, shout out Bill Martell and uh, Blackwell and Studio 86 and all our friends over there at uh, BCWA. Tell us a little bit about BCWA this weekend, Priest. What do we got on tap, man? I know it's going down at the Cope again, but uh, always a good time down there at uh, BCWA. Absolutely. 6 p.m. Saturday night, Copeland Center. Uh, it's You Are the Father too. Uh, the Father's Day weekend show. Uh, the first You Are the Father took place. So it's 29- coming? Took May. Father, it's a Father's Day show. 
Um, we did one on Father's Day back in 2019. It was the first You Are the Father pandemic has disrupted the last two. So here we are back. It's a good show uh, for dads to get out of the house. I mean, what better gift to get your dad for Father's Day than a couple tickets to the old BCWA show in Wyandotte, Michigan. Kids are welcome. It's a family-friendly show, as always. A 6 p.m. start time, uh, so you got plenty of time to get out of there and enjoy a, a late-night fire and barbecue Father's Day weekend. Um or come on down to uh, the Firehouse uh, Pub afterwards where you can get to meet a lot of the wrestlers and, um, you know, we'll have our burgers there as well. But enjoy your Father's Day weekend. What better way to come up to BWA? I mean, we're going to have a Father's Day Battle Royal, um, and the winner of the Battle Royal on this show will face the BCWA champion Justin Maine in the same night for the championship. Um, I'm excited to see that, as, as has been uh, the case with BCWA shows. A lot of us don't know what's going to happen until we get there. Um, and this is going to be kind of the same. I know there's a battle royal. I know Justin Maine's BCWA champion. I know he's going to be defending the belt that night, whether he likes it or not, because those of you who were at the last BCWA show, well, Justin Maine uh, at this whole anti um, – and there's nothing more blue-collar than trying to unionize. And in the Blue-Collar Wrestling Alliance, I mean, Justin Maine's trying to lead this front, but the way he's going about it is not – exactly uh one hard-working man would go about trying to unionize so uh we'll see what justin says about this it should be uh, rather entertaining but he is the champion he is uh contracted to defend that championship against the battle royal winner and what comes of this we'll find out saturday night at 6 p.m at the copeland center in wyandotte michigan I don't know, man. You know, Bill Martell was uh, light, let, lighting me up because I wasn't at the last BCWA event. So I will be making my return to BCWA show. Maybe one of these days I can drag Corey out there. But, uh, yeah, I will uh, be making my return to BCWA this Saturday. Uh, definitely looking forward to seeing what Mike Blackwell, Studio 86, all of you guys got in store at the Copeland Center. Definitely link up with Chris. If you guys are in the Downriver area, like I said, Wyandotte, Copeland Center, you need to check it out. And, uh, yeah, wait a minute. I still – Martel still owes me a shot, too, so I guess I'll be at the Firehouse Pub, too. So, like I said, <laughs> uh, you know, like I said, you guys should be at BCWA. If nothing else, maybe I'll make a dumbass out of myself. We'll see what happens. But – Right, I just I just heard that there's a couple more match announcements. I guess yeah, I can well, break yeah, right here on the knockouts. So, a long rivalry that's been developing really since BCWA has come back these last few shows is we're going to have a, a trilogy match between Ken Cash and Soul Taker. Um, this Ken Cash uh, got a big win over Soul Taker a few months back. Soul Taker has been seeking vengeance upon Ken Cash ever since, and we're going to get that rematch at You Are the Father 2 this Saturday night, as well as uh, the Alliance champion, Uncle Chase Burnett, friend of the show here at Knockouts and Three Counts. He'll be defending his championship as well. And um, you, as with the Alliance championship, you never know if it's going to be one, more more competitors for it. Typically, this belt is defended with multiple, but uh, sounds like Brutus Atwell has thrown his name, the Scourge of the Swamp, into the hat a lot about to, that guy. to be, uh, to be competing for the Alliance Championship. Is it going to be just Brutus Atwell and Uncle Chase? Is that match going to happen? But word on the street is Brutus Atwell wants the Alliance Championship and Uncle Chase Burnett might have his hands full with the scourge of the swamp. And as always, hey. Studio 86 Tag Team Champions will be defending the belts as well. Um, opponent, 
You'll have to find out when you come out this Saturday. I don't know, man. I already was on my way out there, but uh, I'm interested to see what comes out of this. You know, we've been hearing a lot about Bruce Atwell from our episode with one Mikey Zero of Mr. Chainsaw Pro Wrestling. Uh, I have been entertained by Bruce Atwell, so I don't know. Maybe the Swamp Man might have to make a debut on Knockouts Three Counts Suit. You know, hell, we've been known to do a lot of crazy shit on this show. What makes a Swamp Man any different? So, like Priest said, you know, if you're not doing shit on Saturday, Corey, what the hell are you guys doing for Father's Day? Even if you are doing shit, before you answer that, Corey, sorry to interrupt, <laughs> but even if you are doing shit on Saturday, BCWA show goes from 6 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. You got a two-hour block in there. Get your ass down to Wyandotte and enjoy the show. I mean, it's dinner time. There's hot dogs at the concession stand. You can go back to doing shit after. You can do shit before. Mow the lawn before the show. Have a brew or two after. It's a it's a perfect time of day. It's not going to hog your entire evening up. It's not going to hog your entire That's afternoon up. It's two and a half hours of pure entertainment and wrestling action that you can only find at BWA between 6 p.m. and 8.30 p.m. That's one thing I do love about the way you guys set up your promotion. That that time schedule is rather appealing. That, that, one, that, it, that is a great uh, aspect of it is the fact that you can still, to your point, Enjoy your night after the fact. You're you're not calling it a day at you know twelve thirty at night because the show's wrapping up. Yeah. Well, I say you bring your ass out to BCWA and then we'll get Priest to link up with us for the fights afterwards. We have a couple shots at the firehouse. Watch these damn fights because we got UFC going on this weekend, and then you ain't even got no excuse because we'll be watching the fight too. Hot damn it! Like I said, then you got all Sunday to do your Father's Day stuff That's and right. all that shit. So all that come on. shit. All that shit and stuff. You got you got all oh, that time for it. I know I'm gonna be busy on Sunday as uh my nephew probably is gonna be over here at some point. So, like I said, Corey, I feel like you need to come down with me to BCWA. We'll go get some alcohol or some food or something at the firehouse afterwards. And priest, if you're so inclined, you can come watch the fights with us. Hell, maybe we'll get Martel to come watch the fight with us. Like go. I said, man, come on, man. We got to check it out. BCWA, I am looking forward to that shit this weekend. But, you know, while I got you here, I kind of want to know what your thoughts are on some of these uh, headlines that we've got in the wrestling world because I am going to be heading my white ass down to Forbidden Door to go check out AEW Forbidden Door and see what happens between AEW and New Japan. I am uh, looking forward to it, although let me tell you, they are out of their ever-loving minds with these fucking hotels, but that's a story for another time. Uh, but with that being said, how are you are you, are you looking forward to AEW Forbidden Door? Because I got to say, with some of the matchups that I've seen already announced and with the big news that just happened, as you can see in the thumbnail, we have a new IWGP champion in Switchblade Jay White and his promo for one hangman page didn't leave much to be desired um didn't leave much up to the imagination you know we heard hangman come out and uh, call out okada well jay white says and i quote jay white wins iwgb championship and says you wanted okada hangman you can have him that you cowboy bitch so i mean those are some pretty those are some pretty big fighting words and i don't know about you priest but the idea of Switchblade versus Hangman being now that we know we're not going to get uh, Punk and Tanahashi because he's hurt. I don't know. That sounds like a pretty badass match to me. 
you know, honestly, this is the the least interested I've been in AEW since its inception. Um, it is a built a forbidden door. And a lot of it has to do with the injuries. Um, and then some of it's just the way that they've been booking the weekly product. I mean, that battle Royal last week was a complete joke. They slapped themselves in the face with that entire program of dynamite here. You have an opportunity to put an entire two hour program around your main championship. And you have a ranking system for a reason. And the UFC, for example, does an interim champion, AEW doing an interim champion. It's great. I love it. I'm all for an interim champ. However, why wouldn't your number one and your number two guy or hell your top four guys that you have a ranking system for be the guys competing for this championship. Instead, you put a battle Royal out there. You put guys who aren't even who've never been ranked and you have guys who are ranked, not even wanting the belt and saying in promos, they want that they don't want the title. Then you have the guy who was the former champion saying he wants the IWGP championship against Okada, which that match actually had some interest to me. Okada is arguably still the best wrestler on the planet. So I'm like, okay, yeah. Okada and Hangman, Hangman, the former champ, that's got some interest. Then Okada loses the belt to Jay White. And I just go, I have no interest in Jay White and Adam Page. I have no interest in Tanahashi and Moxley. I just have no interest in this show whatsoever. Um, and I, I know injuries happen, but I think it's just been booked poorly. The whole the whole way they bring in Aussie Open and Osprey on the last dynamite as well. It's like, okay, you just do a quick running segment. No one, you know, the crowd didn't really know who Aussie open is. I mean, they're let's face it. They're not studs. They're not stars yet. Um, and Osprey, who is arguably one of the biggest stars in new Japan, wasn't put in, uh, put in uh, an opportunity. wasn't showcased in a way to present him as a star. He does a quick run and beats up FTR and Trent. sets up a six man on rampage. Well, the AEW guys go over and Osprey. Sure. He's a talented worker, but he doesn't come across as a star by any means. So why would I want to watch him wrestle on a pay-per-view now? Like, I, I just think this is the, the weakest their product has been. And at each passing day, I'm less and less interested, especially with Okada losing the championship. Why would I want to watch? He's a special talent, generational talent. Why would you take the championship off of him and make him less special going into arguably the biggest U.S. audience pay-per-view he could be performing on? I just don't get it. So I can totally see your point when it comes to Okada. I wonder if this title change had more to do with the way that uh, Bullet Club seems to be regaining juice with, look, let's face it, they were one of the hottest things out probably like 2013 to about like 2016 or so. And, you know, they lost a lot of their steam. I think now with, you know, Switchblade taking over as the leader, you know, you've added Ace Austin, uh, Chris Bay, you know, they're, they're making a concerted effort to try to put uh, Bullet Club back into prominence, not just in uh, New Japan, sure. but here. Um, the thing that makes that match so interesting to me, I've gotten to see Jay White now a few times in person. Um, I was there at the Impact Multiverse show, WrestleMania weekend, and I don't know, a match between him and Paige interests me more so for the fact of take the titles and all that stuff away from it. Obviously that's an important part when we're talking about the IWGP championship and all that. But for me, I like this match purely just because I feel like it's a good match to like remind people like, okay, hangman lost CM Punk, but I feel like a match with a guy like swing switchblade J white is a good match to remind people, you know, what Hangman's about. That's why that matchup doesn't bother me as much. Although it's going to be a great match. It's going to be a great match. You have two great performers in there, but you're not selling tickets with Jay White and Adam Page. 
You're selling tickets with Okada. Okada is your, is your guy who's going to sell tickets. Tanahashi's guy who's going to try to move some tickets for you. Jay White doesn't move tickets. He's not bumping a number in Impact. He's not drawing people to shows when he's doing stuff with Impact, so why is he going to do it with AEW? I think it's a missed opportunity. Jay White's yeah. all over Impact TV, and he's not doing anything. Great match. Great wrestler. You have a it's it, Page and, and White are good. It's going to be a very, very good match bell to bell, but it, it's not marketable. It doesn't have the same hype as Okada. Exactly. I mean, we've talked about Okada a bunch on this show. I mean, Okada is, I mean, look, whether you watch New Japan or you don't, if you're a wrestling fan or actually pay attention or give half a shit to what's going on, you've heard the name Kazuchika Okada. Uh, Okada has been arguably the best talent that they've had in Japan in quite a while. Um, a lot of the matchups, I agree with you. I think uh, on paper, it's going to be a hell of a card. Um, oh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to going, but I do totally see your point in that um, with the way things have stacked up because of the injuries with CM Punk mm-hmm. and, and, and how they've had to change things, how they changed things with Okada and Jay White and all those things, I could totally see where that would uh, knock down some of the interest. I wonder... I really hope that they find a way to plug uh, Will Ospreay in more because Will Ospreay has been one of the best talents they've had in Japan for quite some, quite some time. Most people all know who Will Ospreay is and for him to come in with uh, Jeff Cobb and the great Okan. Now, minus the fact that you could clearly see that uh, dude didn't have Okan's head when he went through the table, but that was uh that was a story for another time, but I'm a big fan of UE. I really think that they are for them to kind of like 360 and rebuild the hype on this. I think the way to go about doing that would be to really make a huge angle into it with what's going on with the UE with Will Ospreay, whoever he ends up facing. Now I do think Moxley versus Tanahashi is going to be great, but I agree with you in the way that they did that, um, the battle royal and with who was in said battle royal the hard part with that is that i mean let's be honest i mean if i'm being 100 percent honest once you saw who was in there and like once the elimination started to go i mean to be honest i really thought from the outset that moxley was going to beat whoever you know whoever came out of that battle royal now am i mad that moxley would be the guy that you would want to insert back in there for uh, the title picture no not at all because i will say on the contrary of what i just said i do think that they've done a good job of you know they put moxley and danielson in the in the blackpool combat club you know you kind of move them way away over here from the title picture so people can't bitch that it's just moxley in there all the time i think he's been away from I think he's been away from the title picture long enough now that you're not going to get a lot of that. But I do agree with you in that I think you definitely could see a little bit of backlash because of, you know, just things that are out of their control. Um, It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I'm still interested to see what other matchups they'll put together uh, from – from uh, New Japan against AEW. And in my personal opinion, like with what you were saying with uh, Switchblade Jay White, especially with what we've seen recently with uh, Ace Austin joining the Bullet Club as the X Division champion over there at Impact and uh, all those things, I think the best things for them to do to not salvage this card, because like you said, on paper, this card's going to be badass. But I think to bring a little bit more intrigue to the card, I think 
if you get Will Ospreay in a big spot and you find a way to tie in all the Bullet Club stuff, because there were a lot of title changes in the last weekend because Carl Anderson won the Never Openweight Championship too. So, I mean, it gives you a lot of different possibilities the way things can be plugged in, the way matchups can be changed. Um, I know I'm looking forward to getting down there and uh, seeing how it plays out. Um, we got, what, two more weeks of uh, yeah. two more Dynamites to set the set the show up. So, Battle the Bell, when, once you get there, it's going to be a great show for the live fan. Battle the Bell, every match, you tear it up. I mean, it, it, it's a... It's a dream show to a, a niche audience of wrestling fan. It's as far as getting those mainstream eyes um, or those, I shouldn't even say mainstream, those wrestling fans that are on the fence, that are on the bubble, that might not be familiar with New Japan, but they watch AEW. It's a matter of getting them to buy this pay-per-view. Um, and, I mean, I don't know what Daniel's injury stat- Danielson's injury status is, how long he's out, but, I mean, He's about the last guy of intrigue to with Okada. I mean, if they can get Okada, who knows? He might not contractually. Well, I, if I'm not mistaken, somebody challenged Danielson. I think Danielson has a um, – I forgot who it was, but somebody Jack challenged Kaver, him. maybe? Yeah, that was it. I mean, okay. That sure, that would be a – I mean, that would be a dream. I was going to say, I, for one, that match would be very fucking interesting to me. Uh, I've been a big fan of Zack Sabre Jr. for a long time. Him versus Danielson in a place like this where you're going to get time to actually be able to wrestle, I think yeah. that be. I think that could be really good. But I definitely agree with you. I think um, some of the intrigue for this show definitely got hit because of injuries and that kind of stuff. I agree with you. It's going to be a good show, but it it definitely has lost uh, some of its steam. But for sure. some of the some of the other things I want to talk about before we get off of AEW, sure. obviously we saw what happened with Jeff Hardy. Yes, son of a bitch, dude. Like you know, I think all wrestling fans were kind of like, yes, he he wasn't on drugs, and the WWE looked like a bunch of dumbasses by saying he was drunk and then trying to turn around and then put him in the Hall of Fame, and then to have this happen, holy god, um, it's. I mean, it's a sad tale, and and sadly, like this has been his entire career. Like they said, you know, the he fourth is, one in the last ten years. I mean, he has been his own worst enemy. I mean, Jeff Hardy has is the most, uh, arguably, the most charismatic wrestler of all time. Like I have no problem saying that because he he transcends generations uh, where people think he's cool and influential. I mean, he's been this over twenty years, and he still draws and still has something about him and he's not a larger than life figure. I mean, he's six foot tall, maybe six foot one, 210, 220 pounds. He's not a huge man. I mean, he's a big man by average standards, but he's not like a six foot six, 300 pound Hulk Hogan, all, you know, jacked up, but just an, as a, as a guy, I mean, he looks like a rock star. He, he carries himself like a rock star and unfortunately is living his life like a rock star and it's 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 caught up to him at bad times in his career for his entire career, um, you know. And, and you hope and you want and you pray that he's sober, and then you you think he is, and then you find out he's not. It, it's heartbreaking for wrestling fans for sure because we idolize, especially with the way he went out of WWE, and then it, to find it, out that he he wasn't messed up when they did that, and then to have this happen like right after that, it's like damn, dude. And that's where the social media world that we live in ends up you get the personal the personal lives of people in the social media world and then you get all these narratives and you get all this 
quote unquote, like breaking news uh, of what's factual and what's not. No one really truly knows what the truth is, but we get it Jay in our Bob. heads. Um, and we get in our heads what what these guys are and how they're living their life and what they're doing, whether it be dirt sheets, this. No one really knows for sure, but everyone's got an opinion because of social media. And then you get this like with Jeff Hardy now and everybody's heart breaks even more because they thought, they hoped, they believed where the people who are on the outside who goes, Oh, Jeff Hardy's gone from WWE and they don't know the, 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 the story behind it and all the details that have been spun up on the internet. And then they see it in the headlines. They might not even realize he was an AEW, but they're like, Oh, that must've been why, you know, you know, I know people who don't follow wrestling and they're not the hardcore wrestling fan. And I had someone message me. He was like, Oh, Jeff Hardy got arrested again. Is that why he's gone from WWE the last few months? Like, well, they didn't even know he was in AEW. Don't, yeah, don't, I don't, I don't know if that's why he's not, but you know, you have to wonder if they were, if, if that was why, and maybe there's truth to it. Maybe there's not truth to it. Who knows? And, but yeah, it, it's just Jeff Hardy, you know, like I said, his own worst enemy. He's, you, you hope it's right. Did they make an announcement yet on what's happening? Yeah, tonight? so they did. Here's uh, Tony Khan's official statement that he put out uh, on his Twitter. Um, let's see. Pull it up. Uh, so we were able to resume contact with Jeff Hardy this afternoon. AEW does not condone Jeff's alleged behavior. We, we've we made it clear uh, to Jeff that we'll assist him in getting treatment for substance abuse issues, which he, which he has indicated that he's open to receiving in the interim. He is suspended without pay, and he can only return to AEW upon successfully completing treatment and maintaining his sobriety. If you or a loved one needs help, please, uh, and it's got the abuse hotline. But basically, you know, so they've they've said that they're not re- releasing them, which I like yes. that. I like that, first of all, that you're immediately yeah. not going to release them. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, I mean, AEW's hands are really tied in this, too, because what are you going to do? You can't act like it didn't happen, and if you don't take the stand to something that happened with it, that's going to be a bad look, too. So, I mean, I really feel like AEW's hands were uh, tied in all this, dude. I mean, Corey, what do you think about the situation that that puts in a- puts AEW in? And what do you think happens once uh, J- Jeff Hardy gets out of rehab? I definitely think they, at this moment, with the statement that you had just spread out, I think they're doing the best thing available, I guess, with kind of the hand that was dealt. First off, let me state this as somebody who grew up when I was watching wrestling as a kid, Jeff Hardy was by far my favorite wrestler. He really was. And to your point, he really did kind of transcend generations because his wrestling style back in those days between him and his brother, they they really stood out for, you know, what they were able to do, their, their style, their edginess and stuff like that. And to your point, they continued to, uh, garner the fanfare all the way to uh you know the current era of wrestling so to see somebody we know who has dealt with you know have substance struggles their whole life you know i mean it's it's one thing if you just enjoy a little weekend drink but when you're catching your fourth dui hey it's you know probably time to take a look you know and uh that that being said, isn't that didn't he already have a rehab stint like two oh, three years ago this, or something? Well, dude, that was the whole thing. Well, when that he was like the big. That was like the well, big like revival. No, what happened was he was right? in the middle of a match. He was in the middle of a match, 
gets out, hops the wall, goes through the crowd, starts thanking fans or whatever. And so WWE automatically assumed that he was all messed up, only to find out that he wasn't messed up. And then they mm-hmm. tried to 360 around and put him in the Hall of Fame to try to save face. And then now it's come out two weeks later that now he's got another DUI and there's no question on what happened. So, I mean, damn, dude. Like, a lot of that is a, allegedly, yeah. I guess, will be the words that we, we can allegedly, use. Allegedly. Allegedly. We, did. we don't know for sure. But uh, I mean, I've heard Matt and he has, he say it even on Jericho's podcast that that's how it well, sure, But can you take anything Jericho says? Yeah, fair, the guy's in the fair. middle of a midlife crisis. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but Corey, you're right. He did have a, a rehab stint. I believe it was in 2008 or nine. It was it was okay. a, a while ago. Um, he had a, he had a rehab stint. Um, but uh, I mean, to Jordan, I saw him throw the comment up there. Shout out Jordan. Um, yeah, DDP should should. Have a nice little kumbaya moment with Jeff Hardy. I, I don't think that would be a bad thing at all. It'd be great for uh, for everybody um, that's a wrestling fan um, to try to get Jeff Hardy on the, the the straight and arrow. And we know the dude's in a ton of pain. We can see it with the way he's working. And uh, you know, AEW hasn't really done him any favors with the matches they've been putting him in either. And he's not going to say no. He's a he's 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 a daredevil. I mean, that's how he's always lived his life. So he's going to do these crazy stunt show matches and and give you everything he's got and that's why people love him and he's endearing to wrestling fans and i mean you're just watching him literally break his back for the business like you every time he wrestles like good god is this the last time i'm gonna see jeff hardy like he just it's scary seeing what he's doing out there but he's still going out there and doing it and to think six months ago in wwe dude was on the cusp of being like a in main events again and he didn't look this broken down so um, but hopefully, hopefully this is the last, the last wake up call or the last time we're, we're talking about Jeff Hardy in this situation and he gets, he gets what he needs. Um, I really hope, like you said, that it's a wake up call, especially with the way that AEW's handled it. Like they've yeah. tried to show like, look, we're not going to abandon you. We're not going to release you. You have to get your shit together. Like, I hope. I hope that that's the message that comes through with this with Jeff, because I mean, at this point, there's not, you can't blame this on, you know, a management thing or being a ran too hard thing. Like you just got a new second chance here in, you know, AEW. And then for this to happen that quick after that, and given what happened in WWE, like right before he left, man, it's just crazy because we went from just two weeks ago, you know, on the episode with Ryan McKinnell from Busted Open right after Double or Nothing. Like, that was one of the biggest things that we were talking about was that, damn, dude, the idea of the Hardys versus the Bucks on a mainstream platform where they can actually have time to tell a story and do a feud where it's on big TV and listening to all the ideas that Matt had for that and then to just kind of see that go down in flames like that, man. If anything, like, like you were saying, Corey, it's just – it's sad in the sense of just of being a fan of Jeff Hardy, dude. Like, I you just at a certain point you're just like, damn, dude. I just hope this guy gets it together. Just for if nothing else, just for his own sake and his own family and his own, you know, his own deal. Um, let's talk about some news with somebody uh, either leaving a company or taking a leave of absence, which is very intriguing as to where it could go. Um, there was also news over the weekend of. Page is going to be done with WWE and has already issued a statement in which she said that she will for sure be uh, returning to the ring, just that nobody knew where that was going to be at. 
Um, she'll be under her what her real name, Soraya now. But uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Paige getting out of WWE? What do you think she has left to offer to a company? And where where would if you had the potential, where would you uh, where would you pick for Paige to end up? Greece. I mean, Paige is a star. Like she she's a star. I mean, she was one of the biggest she was she came in to WWE in that fold where they still had some some diva out there with the appeal. She had the whole anti-diva gimmick. She's young though. I mean, I don't, is she even 30? I don't even think she's 30 years old. No, yet. she's 29, same age as me. Yeah, I was saying, she's young as hell. So she it's the injuries that you have to wonder. I mean, and she's, she's cool. already, mind you, like you just said, 29 and she's what, a 15-year vet already? Yeah, she's been wrestling more than half her life. She's 29 years old. She she looks like a star. She's an extremely attractive woman who's been featured on Total Divas for years. The uh, Rock made a movie about the chick. What else yeah, do you need to know? That was going to be my next point. There's a movie out there about her entire life. And her upbringing, like she is, she is a star. So wherever she goes, she's she's gonna move the needle and push the needle. As far as her in ring work at this point, if she wrestles, which seems to me, everything we know, it, it's ill advised for her to wrestle. But you know, she's gonna wrestle when she gets out. We say that, but how can we say that in an age where we've just seen Edge come back and Stone Cold came yeah. back and wrestled after fucking twenty years at this point? So Ab- I mean, absolutely. I agree with you, but. Yeah, she had the same injury Edge did. Spinal stenosis is what shot her down. It's the exact same injury Edge had. Um, and she's a professional athlete. So, yeah, her, her much like Edge, you know, the way they rehab and take care of their bodies is much different than the average person. So we'll see how lim- much it limits her. I mean, she's young, though. Like we said, 29 years old and having that wear and tear on your body already is much different than a, than a you know, a guy who's 6'4", 240, uh, a man who's also put his body through hell before having his spinal stenosis, but well-conditioned athlete. And she's what, maybe 115 pounds tops. Like she's just not a very big person to be, uh, to be grinding. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, how much it limits her, what she does, but wherever she goes, she's, uh, she's the most well-known female that's going to be in that company, wherever she ends up with whatever she does. And you got to put her on TV because she is a needle mover. I couldn't agree more with that. And then the thing with it, too, is like like you mentioned with her, you know, having the schedule she was having in WWE, like she hasn't had to be necessarily active. So she hasn't been taking all that wear and tear on her body for the last few years. So it's given her body finally some time to heal. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I think anywhere she goes, whether that's I mean, dude, and I know people want to shit on it, but dude, whether she goes to Impact, where I've said for a long time, where I feel like Impact has had one of the best yeah. women's divisions for yeah. I mean, I've been saying, I mean, I've said this for years, dude. And that's the thing. People can say what they want. Impact's women division is fucking fire. For so if that was years, Impact's division has always been the best. They, If you want to be real about it, Impact and TNA were the first ones that really put women on to where they were having like badass matches. Point, point blank period. You go back to Gail Kim versus Taryn Terrell. From Slammiversary in 09, dude. Say what you want about WWE and Women's Revolution and all this shit and whatever. But without TNA and the knockouts and Gail Kim and Awesome Kong and all them, you don't see any of this Women's Revolution bullshit in the WWE. Exactly. I'm just saying. So without them, we're not and having During the Women's Revolution of WWE during 5th from 2015 to 18 when they were putting on the best ones, Impact was still crushing it 
with the women's matches they had. They've always had a stack. And they're going to break. They're going to make history again. We were just listening to Busted Open earlier with uh, Slammiversary coming this Sunday. They're going to have the first ever Queen of the Mountain match. Okay. I think that they that's talent to do it. Why not? And they're all and they're all former champions. You've got Jordan Grace. You've got the champion uh, uh, Tasha Steeles. You got Deanna Perrazzo in there. You got Mickey James in there. Uh, Jordan Grace is in there. I think that's it. I am very Rosemary I am, Havoc, one of them too. Uh, I think if if any of them, it's Rosemary because I know the Havoc. Yeah, because I know Havoc's been off TV, but holy shit. Uh-huh. So this, Corey, I know you don't know what how the King of the Mountain match works. So it's yeah. essentially like a reverse ladder match. So in order yeah. to be eligible to even get the belt, you have to pin somebody. Once you pin them, that person goes into like the penalty box pretty much. You're in a you're locked up in a uh in a cage for I, I think it's five minutes maybe or something like that, or whatever it is, whatever the time period is. You get locked up in the cage, and then you can get the belt. Then you have to climb the belt and put the belt above the ring. Like, you have to hang the belt up to be able to win, but you can only do it if you've pinned somebody. So the the strategy of the match, the logistic, like, logically speaking, is that the commentators have a hell of a job to try to get over it, and you hope the talent follows. The skeleton is that you want to be, you want everybody to get pinned within two minutes, get them all in the penalty box, and then you just have, that time frame to get the belt, find the ladder, and hang it before people get out. So it's it's a tough match to pull off. I mean, out of all the King of the Mountain matches they've done, I mean, not all that great. But you'll get. I don't know what year it was. It might have been like two thousand four, maybe two thousand five. There was a really really good one. Um, it had to be two thousand five because Kurt Angle, I believe, was uh, or six. Might have been six. Yeah, Angle was in it, there, and they, they told a really really Angle, good story. It had to have been six. Yeah, they told a really, really good story. The announcers were on the game, and it was just like one of those where like it was like AJ, Angle, Joe, Jared, I believe. was. It was just like, okay, this was the best one. But the ones before that, those early King of the Mountain matches were tough, tough to watch. <laughs> well, the whole idea, Jared said he got it, was from a hockey game. It was, he yeah. was at his first hockey game, and he saw the penalty box. That's yep. where he got the idea for it. Yeah. Um, I don't know, idea. man. It's hard match to... Hard match to tell a good story with. It's there. But that's why I think this match might be good, though. because It should be, because they've got a good blueprint. As long as you got a good blueprint and you had good matches in the past that you can take take the concept from, and you take a skeleton and just plugging your stuff in and and telling, taking the current story that every character is involved with and, and having them wrestle true to their story and not convoluting their current angle and their character's uh, morality, if you will, um, and, and jeopardizing any of that. And that's what's going to make it a, a great match. But when you get these multi-man gimmick-style matches or multi-person, I should say, in this context, uh, multi-woman match, um, what what usually will go awry is when they're piecing it together with all these moving parts is some blood feud that they have going on or some character has to sacrifice something and then the match therefore suffers because – like, well, these two people hate each other. These two people, this person would never do this, the concept of another match. Yeah. They're doing it for the sake of this match. So they're tough to pull off, and it's really tough to get everybody on the same page, whether it be the production crew, the camera angles, um, you know, the agents, the commentators, and the talent, the referee, getting everyone on that same page, knowing, you know, keeping it all together. It's very, very challenging to do. And uh, that's the side of the pro wrestling business I absolutely love. And I'm enamored with on how I'm getting that all together and piecing all those little puzzles in and 
giving it something that absolutely That's, makes sense and, and sucks. But that what you just said right there is what I think makes this match so good, though, is because with yeah. it being the first women's match and the people that they have in that match, I feel like all the oh, women yeah. that are involved in this are going to be coming out with a chip on their shoulder. And I feel like this match very well could steal the show or at least provide some really crazy-ass shit. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of talent in the match and um, should be a good one. Should be a, a good one in a slammiversary. This Sunday. Is it this? Oh my God! It's already good God. This this. <laughs> there's so Sunday, much wrestling. Man. There's so much fighting. There's just I don't yeah. know how you guys keep up with it all. I mean, kudos it, to knockouts and three counts. I mean, one one stop shop to keep you in the loop on all things MMA and uh, pro wrestling, which it's it's hard for me to keep up with it. So kudos to you guys. Oh shit! Trust me, my my brain is burned out. Like once uh, I get done hitting this live button and finish putting it up, so it goes up on the podcast platforms, I've got to like shut my brain off for a little while because it's like, you know, between coming up with rundowns and guests and coordinating all that shit and all that, it's gonna be crazy. Well, mm -hmm. we've already tried to tell you you got to check us out this <laughs> Thursday because we're gonna have the return of our buddy Matt Friendo talk about XFC and the whole clusterfuck that that was. Hopefully. And we're going to talk about the return of Lights Out to Grand Rapids and the Delta Plex going down June 25th. Uh, a lot to talk about there. I know Matt is a uh, wrestling fan as well, so we'll get some of his thoughts on Forbidden Door and all those things as well. And, uh, yeah, man, like I said, if you're in the Downriver area, BCWA this weekend is the place that you need to be. Uh, Priest, is there anything else I missed, man? One more time, let everybody know where they can get tickets and all that shit, and uh, see if Corey's not scared to go have a shot. <laughs> yep, go bcwa.com and Facebook. Go bcwa on the Facebook. Uh, there's a link to the tickets. Get your tickets now. Uh, no VIP gets you a guaranteed seat in the front row and a bonus match uh, before doors open to the rest of the public. Uh, that's a you know five p.m. five p.m. doors for VIP. Five thirty p.m doors for everyone else 6 p.m bell time and bwa shows do start right at 6 p.m on the dot um whether 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 everyone's ready or not the sound man <laughs> has been instructed to hit play that music at 6 p.m referee and the the, the crew is going to head out there i mean they it, it it's a tight tight ship two and a half hour show typically over at 8 30 gives you an evening you know the rest of your evening for you there um like i said battle royal you're going to have someone win a battle royal, and they're going to get a shot at the BCWA championship. Uh, the Alliance championship will be on the line as Uncle Chase defends. Tag team championships. What up, yo, Unk? Defending. Um, yeah, Brutus Atwell's playing claim to being a contender of the championship. We'll find out Saturday if he gets it. Ken Cash and Soul Taker uh, is officially uh, signed on the dotted line from what I understand. So should be a great show. Come on out 6 p.m. Saturday night, Michigan, uh June 18th. Uh, I'm Matthew Priest. At Matthew Priest is my little handle there. It says with an underscore one T and Matthew underscore Priest. Um, you can also catch me on the Time Blaster Toycast uh, recently. It's a, it's, a, it's a podcast about toys. Um, we break down a lot of nostalgia toys, talk about current things. Last episode was about Jurassic World. Next, or Jurassic Park, all things Jurassic Park in general. We talk the movies. We talk the toys specifically a lot of detail. We also get into detail. Or, I'm sorry, this upcoming week's episode is the LJN wrestling line of figures in the 80s. Uh, I believe on my shelf, I'm not sure how my, yeah, it looks like you can see a couple of them behind me. The big rubber guys that you see around in thrift shops and things, uh, 
all the big wrestling stars from WF in the 80s. We talk about those toys. Uh, it'll be dropped uh, Monday. Um, it'll be the next episode. So, And then, and, you know, currently a Q&A, I believe, is going on for future episodes. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, if you're into toys, if you're uh, especially 80s, 90s toys, even current toys, you know, we're going to talk about them, and it's called the Time Blaster Toy Cast. What happened to Ramblings of a Grappleman, bro? Ramblings of a Grappleman's on a hiatus right now. Um, still trying to figure things out. I am the Grappleman. I do ramble, um, but uh, you know, it, it'll it'll get it'll catch fire again. Just gotta just gotta find um, that niche once again. I mean, I got caught up in football gambling, which I converted into a football gambling show with gambling with a Grappleman. So. I mean, we'll so, see. Speaking of that, who are you gambling on for this NBA Finals, bro? Because I've been watching that. NBA bit. Finals. I was on the Warriors last night. I still think they're going to take it. Game six back in Boston. I mean, it's tough to win in Boston. It's tough to waste a championship in Boston. So I'm going to lean probably Boston in game six. But um, I will be putting my money on Blake Thompson over. And uh, the third quarter Warriors to win the third quarter. Um, that That's... Those are the two bets I'll be placing on that. But I've been on it for the Stanley Cup Finals. I mean, I can talk hockey a hell of a lot more than I can talk basketball. I've got the Tampa Lightning. I've had them all all season. Winning the Cup, um, it does not change here. I just think they're a deeper, bigger, more physical team than, than Colorado. Colorado's got probably the two most talented players in the series. But I think Tampa Bay is a better structured team overall. Um, should be a good one. This might be the best Stanley Cup Final we've seen in a few years. It's the best it's the two best teams in hockey. Um, last couple of years, we've had a dark horse team slip in, whether it had been Dallas or Montreal getting in there. Um, last year, I mean, Montreal barely made the playoffs, but they, they, they won series to get to the finals where Colorado was a one seed. Tampa Bay was a three seed, but they were only a couple points away from being number one on their side of the house. So they are the two best teams in hockey, the two favorites to win the cup coming into the season. So, that's what we got here, and it should be a great one. It's easy to find now on ESPN or on ABC. So I'm excited for the Stanley Cup Finals. I don't know, man. I think that covers it. We was talking about hockey. If you guys are new here, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Hey, learn you something. Go listen to uh, our chats with old D-Mac there McCarty. Uh, but with that yeah. being said, like I said, well, this – Go ahead. I have yet to be on a show with, with uh, McCarty. I mean, I've – whether it be pro wrestling, hockey, or, or heavy metal, I mean, I can talk about that guy for probably days, but I've yet to be on a show with him. Surprising. I don't know. Maybe I'll have to shoot you a line the next time we bring old D-Mac back. But with that being said, man, like I said, make sure you come back this fucking Thursday so you can hear about Lights Out Championship going down at Grand Rapids at the Delta Plex. Maybe we'll talk a little bit of UFC, talk a little bit more about last week's guest, Britton Hart and her big fight with Beck Rawlings going down to Bare Knuckle FC. Like I said, make sure you're following us at KO3CPod. I'm at Detroit Knockout. Corey doesn't fucking use Twitter. Priest already told you where to find him. So in the meantime and in between time, he's pointing, (laughs) but he don't fucking use Twitter. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And until next time, fuck your couch.